Good evening. Welcome, everybody. I know we are kind of holding you between drinks, so we'll, we'll you know, thanks, thanks so much for joining. Uh, very excited to be talking to you today about AWS cloud-based risk management solutions that, that we have uh, to serve our financial services customers. And so just in terms of the format, I'm going to be talking for about 15 minutes, talking about trends in the industry, what we are seeing. And then we'll, we'll be joined by our very illustrious panel uh, for, for the remainder of the conversation. So we have uh, uh, senior executives from GFT, Accenture, Murex, NIHS Market, and my colleague Sid Nangia would be leading that particular panel. So that's, that's going to be how, how we are uh, going to go about the, the next, next 45, no, sorry, next hour. Let's make sure this works. Great. As, as, as we all know, the financial services industry today has fundamentally changed post the, post the credit crisis. When you, uh, a study by Boston Consulting Group says that the number of regulatory changes that have come in place since 2011, uh, it's, it's, it's gone by, a increased by three times uh, just in the last six years, to the extent that there are about 200 revisions from a regulatory perspective that some of the global banks are tracking right now. If you look at the number of regulatory bodies across the globe that, that banks have to adhere to, you have the SEC, SEC, the CFTC, the Fed, FDIC, the FENCEN, and that's just talking about the US. And then you have EMEA, where you have you know, the Bank of England, you have the PRA, the, the FCA, you have different regulatory bodies. And then if you take it to the APAC, every country has their own regulatory bodies that they have to adhere to. So it's a lot. Talking about security, 77%, so in a study, 77% of the CEOs that were surveyed, they said that our risk management capabilities are falling behind. And two-thirds of them actually felt that, that their security risk has gone up in the last few years. So combine that with the onerous reporting requirements, uh, the, the, the difficulties that firms have in hiring and retaining the talent that they need to keep up with the demands that they have. This, this is, uh, I find, find this really interesting, but uh, Deloitte Consulting published a report citing that 97% of the firms they surveyed um, have reported increased regula uh, regulator intervention. And enforcements have gone up so in the last five years. They've gone up by about 20%. But $321 billion, that's the amount of fines that have been levied on the industry. So that's, that's when it really gets real, right? Everybody can talk about, yes, the pressure is increasing, and you know, it's getting tough. But when you have the regulators coming in and enforcing fines to the extent that they have, that's when you really f f start facing the pressure, the burden. And to add to that, you know, we, we all know that risk management workloads are very compute intensive. So, so if you look at different areas from market risk uh, to credit risk to, to even taking around, you know, things around regulatory reporting and compliance, uh, the very heavy compute workloads. Look at, you know, war calculations, companies that have to do it now, um, you know, on an intraday basis. Look at, uh, you know, measures around intraday consumer credit exposure and reporting, um, you know, portfolio modeling, uh, pricing, um, you know, look at CVA calculations that require 
billions of simulations that firms have to do in order to report risk to, to, the, to the regulators. So all of this presents a very big data, heavy compute problem, and then you put that on existing infrastructure, and it just starts crumbling over there. So it's, 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 it's very hard to procure. Um, you know, companies talk about 12 to 16 weeks on an average, sometimes even six months, that they have to take to procure the hardware to run their calculations. Uh, once you procure the hardware, you're, you're, you have fixed capacity, so you, it's not something that you can scale up or down really quickly. Um, you have, you have uh, limitations in terms of hardware and, the con and then the configurations that you have. If you look at AWS, we have just, just from a compute instance, instance type, you have 11 different types of compute instances. And if you buy other, uh, you know, if you buy standard hardware, you are limited in terms of uh, what configurations you have. Um, the other thing is flexibility. Flexibility to respond to the different regulatory environment, the changes. So now you have MIFID II in, in, the, in, in the NEMEA. You have uh, FRTB that is going to be affecting uh, customers across the globe. And then you, you need flexibility to run and test different models. So as you're doing your model testing, validation, all the different permutations and simulations, you just need flexibility in order to run that from, a, from an infrastructure perspective. The good news, that said, is that things are changing. So today, we have financial services customers across the globe that are experimenting, that are doing things, that are moving to the cloud and actually transforming their organizations. And this is companies across banking, capital markets, and insurance, all large enterprises and also smaller ones that are moving uh, to AWS to drive agility, to drive down costs, and improve time to market. And this is only a small snapshot of companies that we can publicly talk about. There are many more um, that, that you know, you're, you're, you're probably familiar with, probably don't. But uh, um, when our customers talk about moving their risk workloads to AWS, they typically have two options. Option one, they can take our 90-plus services and build whatever they want. They can build an anti-money laundering application or a, mo a model risk validation application. But our customers are also saying that AWS, can you provide us turnkey solutions, whether it's a managed service or a hosted service or a SaaS offering that we can take on and just deploy on the AWS infrastructure? So responding to that, last month, we had announced the AWS Cloud Solutions for Governance, Risk, and Compliance. Governance uh, that allows you to respond to uh, the different controls that you need in order to uh, uh, look at the different regulations. Risk, um, looking at internal risk calculations, market risk, credit risk, um, the different calculations. And then the last piece, uh, compliance, which, is, which deals with regulatory reporting and, and those areas. So we launched with eight, eight solutions, um, and, and this, uh, this spans across you know, different areas and, and some of, the, some of the, the marquee firms in the industry, but uh, Accenture that has a risk grid solution on the AWS cloud. Nice Actimize that have a nice uh, anti-money laundering and uh, anti-bribery solution that is available to the customers. IHS Market, which is with, with a very broad portfolio, but uh, primarily centered around financial risk analytics. Uh, FICO, uh, uh, they, that they, ha they have a solution around predictive analytics uh, with their express optimization solution. GFT, that have launched a solution uh, to help with regulatory reporting, also looking at CAT uh, and, and some of the areas there. 
Domino Data Lab around model risk management, cloud technology partners. They have a solution to help with uh, compliance around the different industry regulations, looks at the controls that are there on your environment and how they map against different uh, regulatory bodies, and then Pindrop that have a call center authentication solution. So these are eight that we launched last month. Uh, over time, expect this ecosystem to grow. And uh, we look at your feedback to, to see which, which uh, solutions to incorporate and how to, how to grow this. But when, when companies are moving to AWS, they primarily move for four reasons. And, and you're, you're at reInvent, so you, you know what these reasons are. Uh, but, but it's about, you know, how do I get to the market faster? How do I drive agility? How do I not have to wait for infrastructure and, and have to spin up things, you know, in, or, in order to, to run my risk workloads? It's about scalability, not have, being tied to a fixed capacity and then being, being uh, limited to that. But as your calculations increase, if you're running CCAR calculations that are probably, you don't need that capacity all the time, then you can, do, need it, you, you can use it when you need to and then um, get, get shut it down when you don't have to. Um, security, and this is uh, the, whole, the whole platform concept, but AWS, since in the, in the last 11 years of our history, we have had 3,000 new features and functionality that we have introduced in the market. A lot of them focused around the security. Uh, time and again, when our financial services customers start working with AWS, they realize they actually have, they're able to achieve better security and able to attain better compliance than they can do when they're running workloads on-prem. And finally, it's about lowering your total cost of ownership. Uh, with AWS, you only pay for what you use, and you turn OPEX into variable expense, and because of our economies of scale, we're able to offer it at a much lower cost than what you can do internally. You know, reinvent, so you guys already know that. Um, so I'm going to close it by talking about a couple of customer examples and take you through that before uh, we get into the panel discussion. But uh, here are some examples of our customers who are using AWS uh, to transform their risk management organization. So MapFree, it's a leading insurance company in Spain and a non-life insurance company in Latin America. Uh, they're doing monthly solvency checks on AWS. Um, they... Uh, if, uh, and, and they're actually saving uh, about 820,000 euros over a two-year time, over a three-year time frame as they're doing that. Uh, Fraud.net, so they are uh, an online payment crowdsourced anti-money laundering platform. They're collecting data from thousands of merchants in real time, aggregating it, and then looking at fraud patterns to report on that. Um, Fraud.net leveraged multiple services, including AWS's machine learning services, to develop a platform that allows their developers to offer, fraud, uh, to offer models as an API. And they were able, they're able to now um, deliver this um, in, a, in a response time of under 200 milliseconds, and all, all leveraging AWS services. Um, talking about Bank Inter, which is a bank in Spain. It's a joint venture between Banco Santander and Bank of America. Um, bank Inter is running 5 million credit risk simulations to evaluate the financial health of their customers. And they took a process which was taking them 23 hours down to 20 minutes. So incredible, uh, you know, again, scalable compute that, that has allowed them to, to deliver that, that uh, saving. And... The last example that I have is Aon Benfield, which is a reinsurer uh, uh, division of Aon PLC, and it's a, a reinsurer. 
Uh, Aon Benfield is using AWS to run its actuarial models for about 5 million policyholders, and they've been able to drive down that process that, that took them 10 days down to 10 minutes. So I'm going to close by you know, asking everybody uh, a question as, as you kind of you know, think about this, as you kind of end this conference, heading back home. But if you had unlimited compute, what risk management problem would you solve for the financial services industry? And I'll leave you at that. So I'll, I'll, I'll uh, invite our, our panel uh, panelists uh, to the stage. Um, Sid, if you can, uh, and I'll invite Sid Nangia, our consulting part partner leader for financial services, to introduce the panelists and uh, go from there. Thank you. Can you guys hear me? Good? Awesome. Thank you so much, Nitin. Uh, just to introduce myself, I'm Sid Nangyam. I'm part of the financial services vertical team uh, at AWS. I'm responsible for solution strategy with our partners. So uh, we have a great panel here to, uh, this afternoon. So Nitin talked about how the regulatory landscaping scape is so complex. You know, regulatory complexities are rising. So we have new regulations getting released every year. We have uh, CAT coming next year. We have MIFID II in Europe. With, because of that, if you look at that, uh, overall our customers, uh, you know, they, they are, the, for them, the building and managing the governance risk and compliance systems is very tough. So with our partners, we are now building uh, the RegTech solutions on AWS. And uh, with that, you know, I'm gonna start our panel. So uh, I would like our panelists to introduce ourselves. Antoine, please. Uh, my name is Antoine Murad. I work for, uh, for Mirex. I'm in charge of uh, strategic alliances and cloud strategy. Uh, Mirex is a provider of uh, trading and risk management solutions for the financial industry, both uh, sell-side and, uh, and buy-side. And um, uh, we, in terms of uh, our involvement with public cloud, with, uh, uh, we're focusing at the moment on enabling our clients to, to move uh, their existing Mirex deployments into the public cloud. Uh, for various use cases ranging from test and dev to pr full production, or in some cases, hybrid deployments. Graham. Thanks, Ed. Uh, nice to be with you here this afternoon. Yes, I'm Graham Hughes, one of our lead architects in, in financial services. Um, my own focus is on capital markets, so really global investment banks, um, as well as asset and wealth management um, clients. And you know, we've seen in the last two years, really, a, a, a step change. And so it's all about design and then execution of cloud journeys as well. Andrew. Hi, my name is Andrew Eisen uh, from IHS Market. Uh, we're a global information powerhouse that provides uh, unique data sets, research, software, and services across a dozen or so verticals uh, with a very strong footprint, footprint in financial services. My role with them is really one, leading our cloud strategy um, and our migration into a cloud-first uh, operating model. I also run our enterprise data management platform and our hosted and managed services for our clients, helping them move uh, software assets to the cloud. Ami? Hi, I'm Ami Grohl. I'm the uh, head of capital market strategy at GFT. 
GFTRA financial services uh, engineering firm. So we really focus just on financial services. We work really with the, both the buy side and the sell side, helping them move uh, applications to public cloud as well as hybrid cloud. Um, are, and really, we, we're focused on the engineering aspects of that, so the actual execution part of, of how do you get from you know, non-cloud native applications to fully cloud native or you know, uh, translation of those apps over uh, into cloud. Thank you, Ami. So I prepared a set of questions, but uh, we're going to have this discussion free-flowing. In case you have any questions, you know, we, you can ask uh, at the end of the discussion. So we're going to start with our first topic, you know, uh, which is how our financial services companies are using the public cloud and what business values you know, they are getting out of it. So, Antoine, I'm going to start with you. Uh, you know, at Murex, you have a defined strategy for the public cloud. So what was the main business driver for that, for that strategy? And can you also talk about what are you hearing from your customers on running Murex Solution Suite on public cloud? Okay. Um, uh, fundamentally, uh, you know, we, we think that uh, you know, banks uh, should not be and don't want to be in the business of, uh, of building and operating data centers. Uh, they do it out of necessity. If they're uh, given a choice to, to, uh, to move safely into the public cloud, we think that all of them would want to do it. Uh, uh, so what's uh, 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 limiting them is the concern about uh, security, compliance, uh, uh, regulation, etc. Uh, uh, but you know, as these things get worked out, uh, uh, people you know will uh, will move, and uh, we're getting to a t tipping point where we see more and more uh, 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 of our clients wanting to, to make that step. And um, uh, we, we see uh, three types of, uh, of uh, drivers or, or, or value uh, sources you know, from that move. Uh, there are some people that um, want to move completely and want to get rid of their own data centers. Uh, and uh, so they're ready to, to uh, uh, to put their production environments into into the cloud, um, and we see that in uh, in, in, in various jurisdictions, um, it's not uh, specific to. Uh, so you know, sometimes we have several clients that are under the same regulation, but uh, one of them would decide that they can do this step, and another one maybe will will not be ready to do it. Um, the other major driver that we see is agility. Um, you know, banks want to be able to deliver projects faster, um, and uh, they see cloud as a way to implement agility and adopt uh, DevOps uh, uh, processes and so on. And that's you know the whole test and dev type uh, uh, type processes that you, they would like to move to cloud. Uh, and finally, we have uh, the banks that are a bit more conservative, that uh, feel that uh, the systems of record need to stay on premise. But they would like to uh, to utilize cloud for for compute tasks, okay. keep the, the data private, and uh, and that's also another big drive. Great. So I'm gonna go over to you, Andrew. At HS Market, you have multiple product suites running on AWS on a public cloud. So what difference do you see about uh, your product suite running on a on-prem versus on a public cloud? I'd say the first thing we've seen with the adoption of the public cloud is the ability to get a working solution up faster um, and to bring that agile deployment methodology 
um, in a lot of the typical implementations we do with our clients, whether it's the services or our software applications, uh, we can be much more iterative. Uh, time to market uh, is quicker. Um, what we've also found is because we've used a lot of the automation and DevOps capabilities that the team has standardized as part of our software businesses, we're able to get through the certifications, the audits, the compliance reviews uh, much quicker. Um, and where we find the clients are selecting the cloud or the public cloud as an operating model is when they're looking through their budget cycles or their hardware refresh cycles and they've decided to allocate um, the, that capital to other projects that absolutely have to be kept on-prem yeah. or feel that way. So there's still a holdout or a portion of the industry or a portion of the application lifecycle where the cloud just isn't mature enough to be uh, the primary place to run in. And you look at some of the, the challenges facing the core infrastructure providers for processing uh, of real-time uh, processing of transactions where there are very specific SLAs on resiliency um, and um, uh, latency. And, and we're not quite there, but when you look at the operational, uh, I'll take the data management example for EDM, uh, as an operational platform to optimize data, cleanse data, and distribute it across an organization, the cloud provides a, an optimal operating model for that. That's a good point. So Graham, uh, you know, as Accenture, you work with multiple customers across financial services, right? And you are seen as a trusted advisor to our customers. So how your financial services customers are using public cloud? What are, how do you see, what do you see in the market? So I, I think uh, a lot of our customers started using SaaS-based solutions probably five, six years ago for things like CRM yeah. and, and marketing. And I think that became a catalyst to start looking at you know, the, the IaaS and PaaS cases that we, that we see today. Um, so you know, it's, the, it's relatively immature, I think, is a, is a fair comment, certainly for the larger banks. Um, but I think, as Antoine mentioned, we are, we are now at a tipping point. We see that you know, every financial services organization from the tier one globals through to the, the regional uh, banks, the asset wealth managers, insurance companies now have all got some sort of cloud strategy um, and quite a lot of them are, are along the lines of um, executing in them and AWS is certainly front and, front and center of that. Um, we also see from a use case perspective, you know, this is where the, is how can, we, how can we leverage the likes of Amazon to provide value back to the business and, you know, We've got a solution for risk grid, certainly, because that's where banks have got a large amount of compute, and also it's highly elastic in terms of use case. And then secondly, for things like regulatory reporting that you referenced, again, it's something that's not, it's not business differentiating, it's something that's mandatory, and again, a great opportunity to, to leverage public cloud. Great. So I'm gonna ask you a follow-on question, Ami. You know, uh, with GFT, you work with so many of financial services customers, right? You have helped them define their cloud strategy, helped them move to, to the public cloud. What do you think is the most important benefit of public cloud for financial services customers? So I mean, there's obviously an easy answer to that, which is cost. Everybody will say cost. Um, and you know, if I look at our clients and I look at the, you know, the impact of cost to them, it's been significant. Um, you know, if I think of a risk calculation, we moved to cloud for a client, it, you know, we saw a, a shift of about 4x, four, four which is pretty significant. Yeah. But what was really, really far more interesting in that, in that particular use case was that the, the time for that uh, risk calculation went from four minutes to 10 seconds. 
right? And, and a lot of that was around the ability to use different technology and use technology which was just very innovative for them, very different for them. And so the actual ability to innovate using more bleeding edge technology and actually integrate within, your, uh, within a different development cycle for them is much, much bigger. So I think cost is, is the, uh, almost the carrot, but actually there's a whole variety of things that come after you've gotten past that in the initial migration. Um, and as you start to get into um, having more cloud native applications, there's, there's a whole plethora of different avenues and paths you can take in architecting them, which really allow you to do some really, really very innovative things that, that can change your, both your operating model, but also, you know, as I mentioned, your elasticity, but also your, your actual just you know, general operating model around the business because you can suddenly do things you just couldn't do before. And I think that's, that's really the biggest driver here, which, which I think the banks are starting to see. Yeah. I think the asset managers have seen it a while ago, and they've moved it a little bit faster. And so you know, if I look at the, the dichotomy there, for once you know, the asset management community is further ahead in this than, than the, the, the yeah. investment banks are, and that's, that's going to change the dynamic a bit. Well, that's a great point. What we have seen is the most important uh, point we have seen with our financial services customers is the pace of innovation. right? The, the way they can innovate, the, the way they can release products to the market is yep. amazing using the public cloud. Well, just to build on that, uh, we had a very successful implementation of a, um, a risk grid where the conversation shifted from meeting a seven-hour or eight-hour batch SLA to the permutations of additional calculations, risk scenarios, models, um, sensitivities that could be run because suddenly the the the, the options available to the risk team could be proactive. So now they could say, oh, we have this extra capacity. Maybe we could look up these sensitivities on top of it, bootstrap it, run some of this during, distribute it to this group in this region, and then use this extra capacity that we never had before to run some additional permutations and models, yeah. which really helped them. Right, so it's more than just get it there faster, cheaper. It's now I can ask questions that I couldn't, I didn't have the capital, the compute, or even the know-how how to ask. And between all the tools that are brought to market, you can start to do much more complicated analysis. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, if you look at five years back or ten years back, how expensive was compute and storage, right? With the public cloud, you know, it's become so easier for a data scientist or for your statisticians to do any innovation, right? To run. Any, any of the models. So I'm going to talk about uh, you know, the next topic, which is uh, cloud for risk management and regulatory reporting. So we have seen that financial risk management is largely the data and analytical business, which relies heavily on our compute, right? You have to do CCAR calculations. You have to do stress testing. There are so many requirements from, from um, Basel, from central banks, from FINRA. There's so much going on. Sometimes, you know, to run those uh, calculations, there is so much compute you need, and, uh, you know, all these financial services companies uh, spend, like, tens of millions of dollars on that. So, Graham, uh, I've got a question for you. You know, you know, we have been working with you to put up a risk-grid solution, you know, uh, which we just released uh, last month, which Nitin was talking about. Can you talk about how the risk management and different regulations, you know, FRTB, CCAR, can be benefited from the public cloud? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Sid. Um, I, th I think the, f the first thing um, that you mentioned was, you know, there's just continues to be more and more demand for compute. Yeah. Um, a lot of that is regulatory driven. You've mentioned the fact, you know, FRTB and, and banks are talking about when their internal models are ready, they'll probably need new data centers to be able to support that. So, 
you know, first and foremost, that is a, you know, that's a burning platform. Um, but also the elastic, the elastic requirements that, that are required for, for a risk grid, certainly, you know, a public cloud is, is very much a model that is, is very attractive, just given the fact that the demand um, may, not be, may not be flat. Um, so I think, I think that, that's, a, that's a consistent trend. Now, the other thing is that there's a lot of, um, there's been a lot of intellectual capital that's been put into those calculations that exist today for market and credit risk. And so there's going to be some degree of re-engineering to make use of uh, you know, an elastic framework. So that is an effort that needs to be undertaken to, to really reap the benefit. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword in some ways. Yeah. I think the most important thing is when we talk to our customers or partners, they say, you know, uh, cloud is not about infrastructure anymore. It's platform. If you look at AWS, we have 90 plus services, right? Any customers can come if they want to use AI ML, if they wanted to use DevOps, they can just use those services from a platform and build the systems around it. I think that's the most important thing. So talking about regulatory reporting, right? If you look at uh, the regulatory reporting landscape, you know, I was talking about CAT, right? I was in MIFID too in Europe. So financial services companies are spending millions of dollars, right? to build applications and infrastructure to support regulatory reporting. Now, in fact, you know, uh, you must have heard about FINRA, right? Uh, FINRA is using AWS for marketing surveillance. So each night, FINRA loads approximately 35 billion rows into Amazon S3 and EMR to monitor trading activity on exchanges, So, which is, you know, the regulators are using AWS. So to, you, to that point, Ami, I have a question. You know, you have built a reg reporting solution on AWS. How do you think that regulatory reporting function can be benefited by implementing on public cloud? I mean, in many ways, it's kind of the, the most obvious thing to go after, right? If you look at reg reporting, it's, it's, a, it's something that nobody wins a, a medal for, for being best at it, right? It's something everybody has to do and has to be consistent with. Um, and, and it's a burden to every organization that has to do it. Obviously, you know, they, they need to because they want to stay in business. But, but if you look at the, the implementations, and we, you know, we've had the... Uh, at GF2, we've had the chance to look at the implementations of, of reg reporting solutions across many different banks. Surprisingly, they all, all look the same. <laughs> you know, they all tend to have a very similar architecture. They happen to have a very similar data transformation layer, data similar storage layer. And we looked at all of these different things and said, wait a minute, you know, this, this is an obvious case where building something as a central SaaS-based utility is just, is just going to be naturally easier. You know, if you look at the amount of time and money that's spent doing the business analysis about interpretation of rules and regulation and actually turning those into sets of usable logic and code, it's repeated you know, effectively 50 times at every, every organization, or amongst all the organizations in the, in the capital markets industry. So you know, naturally, when we looked at something like uh, CAT, or you know, even if I say MIFID II, or let's say SFTR in Europe, there's a whole variety of regulations that are coming in. They're all transaction-based that effectively have the same functional architecture, very similar technical architectures, and most of the same non-functional problems. Um, so, so that was, you know, there's an obvious fix when you see something that similar. To, uh, for us, we see that as, as a very obvious thing to, to put onto cloud and to put centrally onto cloud. Um, if I look at the the benefit that you start seeing there is everybody will then start to have the similar interpretation of a, of a regulation, which you know, ultimately means you get a, a herd mentality, which should be good, hopefully. Um, may not have worked so well previously, but uh, <laughs> you know, we believe that at least with regulation, you know, if the regulators all, all agree on that uh, interpretation of the reg, that's also a good thing, right? If the regulator like FINRA, you know, even in Europe, you see Bank of England pushing um, people to cloud as well. So there's you know, the regulators are starting to get behind this thing. You know, I think of CAT as a great example. You know, I've got clients who will say, well, I don't want to move my, my um, orders to, to cloud for CAT, 
It's like, well, it doesn't matter if you don't. FINRA are going to anyway. You know, so so you, you, don't, you can have a choice here. You can either get the benefit of using cloud, which your regulator is going to use, or you can, you can ignore it and you know, close your eyes. <laughs> yeah, so let me, let me ask you one more question on that. From your solution perspective, what do you think is going to be the time frame, right? If you have to implement the solution, how much time would our customers save you know, implementing those solutions versus like on-prem and cloud? So, I mean, for CAT specifically, there's a, there's a slightly different problem in terms of the actual requirements have only just recently come out. Yeah. So, but, but if I think of a standard, you know, typical implementation of a reg reporting platform, um, I mean, think back to Dodd-Frank, right? So Dodd-Frank took about a year and a half for most banks to implement. Yeah. And in that process, they went through the case of building a new data warehouse, building a new you know, ETL layer, building a new reporting layer, setting up ops teams to do all this great stuff. And then there's like 50 million Excel sheets that set off the back of this thing. All of that stuff has, um, apart from the Excel bit, has mostly been done. <laughs> um, and in fact, the Excel bit's been replaced by Kibana in our case, because hey, it's, you know, you click a button, it's done. Um, but the, all of those kind of core components, all the, the um, I guess, the reference parts of it have been done by us. So now it's just a case of actually making sure that the, the data architecture that our clients are using, which in some cases, if I look at CAT, it's fixed, right? And it should be fixed. Now, okay, there's you know, a whole variety of different var uh, variations within fix. But the ability to be able to take those standard fixed models and plug them straight into this is pretty quick. So you're looking at something like a six-week turnaround okay. to get somebody up and running on, on something like a CAT transaction reporting solution. It will vary more on things like MIFID 2 where there's not as much standard. But if, even if you look at the derivatives type um, transaction reporting requirements, they're typically using things like FPML. And every bank has you know, taken their own version of FPML and turned it into whatever version, you know, something, something ML, um, <laughs> surprisingly. Um, but even then, they're still very much similar to FPML. So sure. between FPML and FIX, you've actually got some pretty standard transaction layers as well, or, or, uh, messaging layers. You can plug those in. There's some work to be done, but it's, it's, not, it's not so much. It's, it's far, far quicker time to market than, than would have been traditional. That's, that's great. So Antoine, um, on this topic, what do you think is the most important value of risk, running risk management system on the public cloud? <coughs> Well, uh, 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 risk management workloads lend themselves very well to, uh, to the cloud model um, uh, for a variety of reasons. I mean, one, as you mentioned, uh, is that there's, with the new re regulation coming on board, uh, uh, both in terms of market risk as well as in, as in credit risk, uh, uh, there's a you know, hundredfold uh, 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 increase in, in the need for compute power, and some of these computations need to be done uh, in real time. Um, uh, and um, for some of that, you need some type of hardware acceleration, like uh, GPUs or uh, uh, for the compute side, and also for the, the data also, there's uh, uh, large amounts of data that get generated in that process and need to be shared between different nodes and so on. So uh, you need sometimes uh, high-speed networks or high-speed I/O to, uh, to to deliver this type of uh, of, of computation in, in real time, uh, and uh, uh, managing that kind of infrastructure on, on premise is is very heavy and very costly, and uh, um, uh, all of this can be done in the cloud, uh, and also. Uh, what, uh, what we see both in terms of interday as well as end of day, uh, we see use cases where the cloud can be leveraged to, to reduce cost dramatically. Uh, interday, uh, uh, these uh, workloads tend to be very bursty. Uh, so um, there's an opportunity there for, uh, uh, for people to use cloud uh, to, to, uh, to, to scale up 
for these uh, periods of the day where they need extra capacity. So that way they can size the on-premise infrastructure okay. for, the, for the average and then uh, for peaks they can uh, go to cloud. Uh, so that's a very effective use case that we, we see. And then uh, on, uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, typically these, uh, you have these uh, large batches that have, have to be run that are more rigorously in, in nature. And, and typically, uh, you know, they start at the closing of, of the business day and they last for a number of hours. Uh, so uh, um, provisioning infrastructure for that on-premise means you, that you have to pay for the infrastructure all the time. Well, you're using it, uh, you know, a few hours uh, on, on business days only. So uh, for that reason as well, the, you know, the, the cloud model, the metered model is very beneficial for, for these. So let's talk about a few of the use cases and uh, what business impact cloud is delivering to our customers. And I'm going to talk to you, Andrew, about that. And uh, I know you have uh, some of the solutions running already on AWS, right, with, with some customers. So can you give an example of one of your customers uh, in which, uh, you know, they're, uh, which did they de uh, delivered value by running your solution suite on AWS? Absolutely. Um, actually, a couple good ones come to mind, but I'll start with the financial risk sure. uh, analytics because that's sort of the core of the conversation. Uh, we recently worked with, uh, I did a joint presentation at a recent uh, risk conference with SMBC Capital Markets to talk about how we took their grid, risk grid for uh, CVA. Um, I call it, we call it XVA now because we're running out of acronyms. So yeah. X could be any letter for whatever models you need to apply. Um, you know, I think we were FBI, FBA, <laughs> CVA, so we just call it XVA. And essentially we looked at their, their deployment uh, plan, their project plan, their procurement plan, and they were in the midst of implementing our software and we approached them and we said, to hit your, your objectives, um, we have to iterate faster. So how about we lift this, lift this out of your on-prem data centers and we build it in the cloud and then just make sure that you have the time to market and you can meet your business SLAs. And I'd say the most interesting part of that conversation wasn't about grid computing and it wasn't about elasticity and it wasn't about scale. It was about changing the conversation for a risk implementation to be solely based on SLAs and business objectives and not talk about CPUs, GPUs, gigs of RAM, terabytes of data. We completely eliminated that for the conversation and said, okay, what sensitivities do you need to run? By when? You know, where do you need the results shipped to? By when? What's your exception processing windows? And the, you, you had the, the client change their entire procurement process because they weren't used to saying, okay, we're, we need 640 cores or we need 1,200 cores because that's the way the model has always worked. So in disrupting the model, you, you have a whole different conversation with the client. So I'd say that was the most interesting, um, I'll call it a risk implementation. Uh, we've also had a lot of success supporting um, uh, investor reporting, MIFID, FRTB. Uh, we've put together some utility applications where it was really the combination of um, understanding the data assets as well. Again, when you separate the infrastructure, you can spend less time talking about compute and more about do we have the right data, do we have the right location, are we applying the right governance through the process 
to make sure that what we're giving to the regulators or what we're giving to our obligations is right as opposed to really worrying about lining up all the pieces, the network, the infrastructure, and those types of pieces. So again, we've been very successful in MIFID II, FRTB, um, some of our risk factor utility work, where we've kind of changed the dialogue to about business-oriented delivery as opposed to a very heavy technical conversation. I know you started this journey with us three years back. Probably you were one of the first few uh, you know, partners to have your solutions running on AWS. And what were the challenges which you faced in your customer's organization? And can you talk about your most famous statement on the lawyers, please? Oh, all right. So first of all, we're probably single-handedly responsible for more gray hair of the Amazon Financial Services partner group and the financial services sales and account teams. Um, but it's been a great journey. Uh, there's members in the audience tonight who were with me on that first day where we got funding with $10,000 on a credit card to build a whole cloud-first strategy and business line, and we've come uh, pretty far from there. And I'd say that the reference you're making about my famous comment was we were at this risk conference and we were talking about the biggest challenge, and the question from the audience was, well, if the cloud is so great, why isn't everybody doing everything on the cloud today? And without the filter, I responded, well, that's because lawyers suck. Um, and how I'm supposed to have responded to that comment was, well, because the systems and the processes and the governance that's in place today isn't always ready. They don't, the people, the processes, the forms, the, the who clicks what buttons and says it to who, they don't actually have the ability to change or adapt to this new model. So you spend a lot of time, I want to say, educating, uh, working through the process, uh, going high to executive level people who get the joke, and help change the organization from a top-down level so that they can be more flexible and, and adapt to the, the changing marketplace as we have. No, that's a great point. What we have seen is that you know, uh, if you go and talk to the procurement, right? if you go and present SOW, First of all, they will give you so much grief, and they will say, oh, we're going to put in our system. It's going to take six months to do it. I think when we start uh, talking about cloud with our, with, our, with our customers, the more important thing is how to change that culture at customers' organization, because there's so much bureaucracy in financial services organization. So, but we, we, we are crossing that hump, and we are getting there. So, uh, I mean, I'm going to ask you, you know, you have built this uh, awesome solution on AWS, record reporting, right? Uh, can you talk about that, um, you know, how it's going to help meeting their regulatory requirements quickly, specifically not even on CAD, but other sure. regu regulatory reporting? Yeah, so I mean, if I, if I think about what we've built, it's very much um, effectively a, a reference architecture with a set of specific pieces within it which are focused on core regs. So if I look at, um, you know, the, the aspects around how do you handle um, data lineage and data governance within regulation, right? Um, so, so one of the one of the product managers for this within GFT is, is a chap called Paul Burleton, and uh, Paul sits in London. He's our head of Reg in London. Um, he's the ex head of um, Equity Operations and Prime Operations at Barclays. So he's lived this. He lived this for about the last ten years. So he came and worked for us and said, "Let's fix this problem." Right? And uh, we spoke to a whole variety of folks in the industry, and we looked at this and said, "Actually, th it's always the same thing." And this is what people live in in Excel in operations. They they sit down, they look at every day, they look at the set of transactions. Why didn't these get reported? And we go find out why these didn't get reported. And we go fix each one of these. 
And, and we said, why don't we build a user experience around this and actually build this into part of the solution? So now what you've got is a solution that actually you can go into and you can say, okay, this, these, these number of transactions were broken. This is why they were broken. These are the data fields that weren't there. This is, these are the same data fields that weren't there yesterday. I fixed it this way yesterday, click a button, it's done. Yeah. Now, at some point, you could probably integrate something like machine learning into that. That's obviously one of the things we'd like to do. But there's a bit of danger to that, obviously, in that you know, you've got to be able to prove to regulators why you did something. But at least you know, you've suddenly got a solution which is starting to automate things or at least make things a lot easier from an operational and workflow perspective. Then if you, if you start pushing that forward to just say, you know, that's one regulation. If you were then to expand that out and say, let's look at MIFID 2 as well. So MIFID 2 has become a challenge because of the scale and speed that people need to implement it. And so again, you've suddenly got, um, you know, uh, I'm going to say you know, sticky tape, putting things together in the back end of most organizations to make the actual data flow work. If you were to have something which actually at the front end of that was looking where the, the problems were, and at some point the banks can then actually spend the money to fix the back end, which is pretty much what happened with BCPS 239, um, when it's still happening with BCPS 239, <coughs> um, you, you suddenly have a point where you can actually start fixing those things, granted, after you've implemented the reg, but at least it's something that's valuable, even if you've implemented that reg already. So it's not just something that's valuable because you've got a reg that's, that's coming in the future like CAT, but it's something that can help you start resolving you know, your, your legacy debt within your organization, both data debt and technical debt. Um, and then finally, if you think about the ability to be able to take that data in real time and reconstruct your trade and order book, that's something which many, many banks really struggle to do across all asset classes. Yeah. And suddenly you can now do that pretty much at a click of a button. As long as you've got that data streaming in, obviously that's a, bit, a big if. <laughs> but once you have that, you've got the ability to add things like Elasticsearch, you've got the ability to add DynamoDB into this mix and a whole variety of things like Kibana, you know, tools that you just didn't have access to before that can do some very, very different things. Right. Um, and all of those are, are out there in the Amazon universe that you know, we've integrated to some degree, but the functional architecture is there and set up in a way that you can plug in the bits that you want to expand it out in the way that you want to do extra things. So really, I look at it as a solution that, that is valuable, not just to new regulation, but existing regulation that's been implemented. I think that's a good point. And uh, at AWS, right, we always talk about customer obsession, right? From the solutions perspective, you know, when we will go and implement the solutions at our customers, we'll, we'll get feedback. We'll keep on expanding, improving our solutions so that, you know, uh, we, we can take it forward. So, Antoine, I'm going to ask you, uh, at Murex, how do you see the market evolving between the SaaS solution and, uh, you know, bring your own license or running those solutions on-prem? On um, Today, uh, in regards to uh, uh, to, to the uh, model in terms of uh, using the cloud, um, we come from a uh, from a uh, uh, thirty years of uh, providing solutions on premise. So we have a, a large installed base. Uh, some of them with a large footprint uh, of uh, of Mirex deployments on premise. Uh, so the focus. Uh, uh, for us, uh, the, the, the urgency, anyway, is to uh, uh, enable those clients to to migrate uh, to to public cloud. So the, we see uh, a lot of uh, bring your own license uh, for the next uh, uh, three years. That would be, you know, the uh, uh, the focus of use of public cloud in in our uh, client base. Uh, we do have a, a SaaS business uh, that we are planning to uh, to migrate to public cloud, and we see that growing uh, over time. Um, and we see a number of other scenarios that uh, 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 that will be enabled by by cloud, 
uh, with our clients or our partners will uh, will use our platform to deliver the services, whether it is in an asset servicing context where banks provide services to other financial institutions or the, uh, uh, our integrated partners uh, such as Accenture that uh, provide services around our application uh, who might look to, uh, to uh, provide more of these services in, in the cloud. Great. So I'm going to move to the next uh, topic, which is, you know, everyone talks about it, which is security and compliance. You know, you talk to any of the financial services customer, the first thing which they will talk about is security. But it's changing now. So, Graham, you know, you again work with so many financial services customers, right? So what do you think uh, that, you know, when you're working with your, with your customers, how do you advise your customers around security, about running their key systems into the public cloud? How do you do that? How do you convince them? So yeah, it's a very um, topical subject, um, and I think it's where every every financial services organisation starts with, uh, you know, just trying to get their head around what the impact is of surely public means unsecure, and, and really a lot of it comes down to the fact that in most on-premise solutions, um, there's not a lot of uh, security or controls that exist on-premise. I.e., it's a trusted network. You've got database links all over the place, you've got flat files, you've got un, you know, unencrypted connections. So the first challenge to move out is, is obviously around the actual, the, um, the security aspect, but before you even get there, there's a lot of um, concern around you know, the reg regulatory landscape. And that again is very piecemeal because you've got a situation, as you discussed, where the likes of FINRA and the US are, you know, are very progressive in terms of what they're pushing out there. And um, whereas you've got some of the, I, th I think it was Nitin referred to, it, you know, the, the Asian regulators just still haven't really got their, their head around what public cloud means yet. And so that's the first thing is to, you know, to understand what your own regulatory landscape is and how that affects your own legal entity structure. Then when you get on to, you know, the actual getting to cloud, I think as, as we recommend, you know, there's a, there's a number of things that you, that you need to do. And, and the first thing is really around, you know, making sure you've got you know, actual access to cloud and, and you're using the most, most of your you know, security groups and your, um, and your IAM. Then actually how you apply your policies and you know, how you enforce the policies that you've got on cloud. Um, and then the other big areas are around encryption, both server-side and client-side encryption. Um, and again, there's a, you know, there's a lot of reluctance to, to fully embrace some of the Amazon services, that, you know, such as your cloud HSMs. And so, again, we, we quite often see that you know, using Amazon KMS with a bring-your-own-key is very much a model that most, most large financial services organizations are become comfortable with. But I think over time, you'll start to see probably a more progressive use of HSMs, et cetera, as well. So I think one, it's, it's also very much an industry that works on precedence. So I think the more that we hear the stories of, you know, IHS market being out there and Fenrir being out there and Nobody the others. The first, right? No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no one wants to be the first. And once you show those others have done it, then very much it, it gathers impetus. And I think that's, um, that, that's certainly a, a key trend at the moment. Yeah, definitely. You know, that's what we have seen. Any of the major banks on Wall Street, you know, does the public announcement, you will see everyone kind of following it. Exactly. And that's what's going to happen. So, we know, I know we have only like nine minutes left. So uh, I'm going to talk to you, Andrew, right? Uh, you have been working with us for the last three years, right? And uh, as you know that we always believe in getting feedback from our customers, and we were talking about it you know, before this session. So what do you think that uh, what we could do better uh, you know, when we are helping our customers in their governance, risk, and compliance obligations? 
and you know we are get we are releasing so many services on blockchain ai and ml so how do you think your product strategy is going to change uh, i think there's two pieces i think and everyone here can weigh in because we're in the the end of the session i think the first thing i would uh, i would say is the focus on the customer um, is phenomenal with AWS. Um, and that, that's one of the reasons why we've been so supportive of the partnership. And what I think the, f the first thing the partner program could do or AWS could do as a, as a provider to this space is start to provide, I'll call them templates or um, common observations in operating a uh, um, an as a core infrastructure provider in an Asian jurisdiction. You know, if everybody in the industry knows that you have to encrypt everything at rest in this particular region, there's, uh, you have to make sure that the data doesn't, uh, has to reside within the region, and you know all of these things because obviously you're operating as a financial services infrastructure provider, then the defaults or templates should be there. Oh, you're spinning something up in Singapore. By the way, these seven things you should know. And that would help save the customer um, having to interpret it each and every time somebody new has to spin up an instance or subscribe to a service. And I don't know. If you well, guys, I, was gonna, I think I've requirement stuff Well, I was going to say, yeah. that I think you're in danger of putting GFT and Accenture out of business. <laughs> but, but, but actually, you know, in, in truth, that's, that's advisory yeah. work that we have to do up front for free yeah. and as those same common questions. Um, so, you know, I think we would all benefit from having those goals and rules I mean, I being freely available faster, to all. Right? Yeah. We'd yeah. get to the more fun work as opposed to sitting there and talking <laughs> yeah. about the same thing over and over again. Yeah. But I mean, it, it, I mean, if I think of, you know, I, I look at that document about data standards, both in transit and in REST, I, I've written that document. It's like a 300-page document for every jurisdiction that most organizations work in, right? It's, it's not actually the most complicated thing in the world. It's just really boring. Incredibly <laughs> um, so. So it's just one of those things which I think it has to get done. I think if an organization like AWS did it, it would make things a lot easier, and it would make things far more standardized. Or even just provide the base guidelines. Are you sure buttons? I love are you sure buttons. <laughs> You know, those are, those are good ways to save uh, clients a lot of risk. Yeah, now in fact, we are taking this feedback very seriously and we are working on some trainings. We are building some documents which will help you to go to Singapore or go to Turkey or go to anywhere and, you know, try to expedite the adoption of it. And, and bear in mind, you've got to keep them up to date. Yes. So if you need help with that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. No, great. So. Uh, Antoine, um, you know, before our discussion, we were talking about, we just released, uh, you know, made some announcements on blockchain. And this is a very interesting topic across financial services. So at Murex, uh, what's your blockchain strategy? And how do you see that your product uh, evolving around that? Well, uh, blockchain and financial services is, is moving from the prototype stage to uh, uh, more the mainstream stage, let's say. And we see uh, uh, you know, a, a number of uh, market infrastructure providers uh, s starting to, uh, to, to real projects to, to migrate um, their, their, their core systems, especially in the area of, um, of matching and co confirmation and, and settlement um, to, to blockchain. Um, and uh, we see ISDA now as well uh, uh, focusing on um, uh, on building um, 
a, a common domain model that would underlie uh, the, the modeling of smart contracts. Um, so um, uh, it, it is, uh, there's a lot of, uh, of developments there and uh, 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 you know, the conciliations are notoriously known to be the bane of the, of the industry. So uh, this, this uh, promise of uh, having this distributed uh, uh, ledger that everybody can, uh, can trust and a single source of truth for, for everyone, for, for the trades, for the events, for the, uh, is, is, is clearly something that is uh, very, very promising. Uh, so we, uh, we will definitely be, be investing quite a bit in that direction. Great. And to that point, Graham, uh, you know, when we talk to our financial service customers, everyone is hearing these buzzwords, right? AI, ML, cognitive, you know, what's going on? <laughs> but what do you think that how the AI ML will help uh, specifically in the risk management area, you know, as the market is evolving? Yeah, so we talked a lot this afternoon about you know, risk calculations and transaction reporting, but I mean, they, they don't really add a lot of, well, value back to the business unless you do something with them. So I, I think the first thing is around, in, in the risk space anyway, data quality management is certainly one of the bains of uh, operations leads, um, and, and they have to, well, they don't accept the fact that quite a lot of the data they have is incorrect. Machine learning is an absolutely, you know, awesome development just to take a lot of the manual effort out of spotting trends in some of the issues that come from, from you know, bad data effectively and then rectifying it too. Um, so, so that's certainly one thing that will, will change things for the better. Then AI for sure is making the most of those trends and making sure that they don't happen in the first place. That's just from a data quality. And, and then once from a risk calculation perspective is being able to go full circle and have a feedback loop to go back into your trading strategies, you know, based on what your actual, you know, counterparty credit risk is or your, or your sensitivities that you got in the market risk space, actually doing something with that information that doesn't take you a quarter to go, oh, I now know we've got exposure to, to X, Y, Z, um, and actually doing something about it quicker is really the, the, um, the next evolution of what AI can bring. Um, and I'd also just like to say that, yeah, I've been invited to the, uh, to the Partner Day Labs on Thursday to go through Amazon's latest offerings on, on AI and ML. So, so thank you, and I'm really excited about going to that, actually. Great. I mean, any inputs from yeah, you on I, I, AI and ML? I just echo what Graham was saying. I mean, it's interesting. I think back five, six years ago, I was sitting uh, on a trading floor with the head of, head of markets for a bank, and he basically said, look, I, what I really want is a recommendation engine that can that can actually spew out recommendations on, on to my sales force as to what they should be saying to our trader, uh, to their clients. And we sat down, we looked at it, we scoped it out, and we said, you know, if you actually want to build this, this is really hard. But if you look at, and back then we, you know, we went off and did something using a bunch of our stuff and some really interesting things, but ultimately it's from one, one line of business, very, very small, very discreet. Now, if I look at it, what Reg Reporting has done is actually forced everybody to build massive data warehouses with all their data in. So suddenly you've got this huge chunk of data that you can actually do something with. Yes. Right? And okay, it's been a burden to build it, but now you can go off and do something almost like that, you know, automation around, um, you know, market prediction, market behavior, and obviously some of those things are a little bit dangerous, but actually using them in a way to actually help guide your clients and guide your sales teams is something that I think machine learning is, is absolutely perfectly suited for. And given that you've now got the big data sets to do your training, which you didn't have before, and obviously you know, the training models and, and uh, training data sets are critical to making this work. Um, I, think, I think that's really, really powerful. So I think, I think that's definitely a direction that many banks are, are already thinking about. 
Andrew, any closing comments on AIML or what you guys sure. are doing? I, from, from our perspective and, and being a financial services provider but also a data provider, um, we're investing heavily in, in that type of machine learning and AI but across not just the, the portfolio risk or the underlying regulatory risk, but layering the other data sets that are suddenly available, whether it's transportation or aerospace and defense or energy data, um, logistical data, and then tying that to see dynamically how the relationships in, you know, where these ships are in the Atlantic <laughs> with weather patterns impacts my exposure in a particular region. And you can start seeing it through a security risk perspective, a regional risk perspective. So we're seeing a very exciting opportunity where correlations or relationships between data that we conceptually know exist, but never had the opportunity to put together and crunch uh, with the GPUs and the advancements in, in um, the standardization or the platforms, creating the platforms that you can put copious amounts of data into the cloud, run copious amounts of compute against that, and have some very smart people uh, ask really smart questions of that data, gets you a phenomenal perspective that no one's really had before. And that's where we're spending a lot of time in our investment across uh, the firm. Awesome, I think we're almost out of time, so probably we can take one question if anyone has got any question. the tight tie with data and compute and what you referred to earlier as a need to kind of separate out a, a system of reference from the system of record. Given that you have a hybrid deployment where somebody's not closing a data center down, what are the recommendations you're providing to your clients around creation of a data lake either in the cloud or on-premise? So Graham, you want to take it or? So, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yes. So, so I think it's it's an interesting one, right? And it's it's a problem that's going to turn up more and more in, in the, the the migration from hybrid to, to public, but also the the belief that many banks have that uh, many many institutions have that they need to have both. Um, and then you add in multiple cloud vendors into that, and it gets even more complicated, right? And I'm not going to mention any names, but obviously, you know, there are other cloud vendors out there other than AWS, unbelievably. Um, but the um, the interconnectivity between those pieces, I mean, fr from our perspective, we're, we're putting it as a recommendation around secure, secure channels in, in those, between those connectivity pieces and making sure that when you're actually putting data in, you've got all the right key management at both ends of it so that actually your data's coming in and out in a way that regardless of whether you lose the packets in the middle, you're not actually going to lose any data. Um, I think there are aspects around it um, in terms of what data do you actually need to have on public cloud. So, so if I look at some of the jurisdictional uh, stuff around, you know, what can you actually transit to public cloud currently, it starts to get a bit limited if you look at things like you know, PIP information and uh, all of the, the client reference stuff. Now, I think that will change with CAP because it has to change with CAP because FINRA are going to have a bunch of client reference data sitting in public cloud. Um, but, but as that does change, I think, I think you're going to see, um, see the ability for certain data which has to have had, had to have previously sat in hybrid cloud to be able to move to public cloud. And when that does happen, I think you're going to start seeing, um, you're going to start seeing some of the, the breakdowns and some of the, um, the traditional models around, hey, we just have a pipe between these two things and we move the data in between. 
to actually we need to have an API sitting between these two pieces. And actually the API becomes <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> the API becomes the more controlled way of doing it. And suddenly you end up in a very serverless model, right? And actually the serverless model becomes way more powerful. Because, because then you can actually start forgetting about where the data sits all together and just assume you've got a, a very discrete service layer with a discrete security interface in front of it. It doesn't matter if it's hybrid cloud or public cloud. You can worry about that later. Now, granted, you lose some of the benefits of having um, you know, some of the value-add services that you might get from AWS and the special bespoke services you get there, but actually you can still use those behind, behind your API and your service. So that, that's what I would be doing. Great, awesome. Thank you, Ami. I think uh, we're almost over, so I really thank you, everyone, to attending this session, and, you know, drinks are waiting for all of us. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ami. Thank you. And, Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Sid.